think I'm just going to hang mine right here. How are we all doing today? Good. Gabe, I can't really see you through here. Is my mic in a good spot? Great. Well, welcome to Life Center today. It was uh, lovely almost being able to hear you sing in the room today. If there was a few more of us over the amplified sound, I'm sure I would have been able to hear your lovely voices singing. And wasn't it a great treat to be able to come in this morning and be able to express yourself through song again? Did you guys enjoy that? Yes. I think because we're allowed to sing, we can do a small release of like the few amens in the crowd and things like this. You're wearing your mask still. So if you can sing, you can amen and uh, cheer us on like that as well. And online, we can't see uh, or hear your, your uh, amens and hallelujahs. But we'll see your waves on the chat. We'll see your thumbs up. We'll see everything that you're putting in there. So we continue to ask you to engage with us online so that we, uh, we just all are in this together. Whether you're, you come in person or whether you stay online and you watch, uh, we love you. And we're so glad that you're journeying with us through this series. Because we are in a different time, aren't we? Uh, and because we're in a different time, that means that probably God wants to do something different through his church. And it may not be different from what God is used to doing, but it may be different from what we're used to doing. Because we know God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what he has for us, uh, and what he has for people, for mankind, that's not changing. But maybe our response, our behavior, or our understanding of what God wants to do will become different based on how God reveals himself to us in this season and what he reveals is our purpose and our plan in the season as a church, how we can minister to each other and minister to our community. It's going to be different. And so I'm so glad you guys have joined us, and I'm so honored to be able to bring uh, the word today to you guys. We've been praying for our, our senior and lead pastors, Pastor Jason and Pastor Lori, and their family as they are on a well-deserved vacation right now. And we just pray rest and relaxation and uh, just a, a reinvigoring for what God has in store for Life Center in their lives as they take some time with their family right now. And so today, we're going to jump into our discussion on different, we're looking at the power gifts. Last week, uh, here in this location online, Pastor Lori looked at the first few power gifts, and we're continuing on with those today. And across the board, we are different. Each created in God's image, brothers and sisters called to a singular salvation in Jesus, uh, affirming the same Apostles' Creed, and a collective hope uh, to rise and to see the calling of who we are, to become just like Jesus, to be one with Jesus, uh, just like Jesus and his Father were one. That is what Jesus prayed for us in John, that we would be one together and one with him, just like he was with the Father. And so we're about to do that. We want to dive into that, and we want to make sure that we access all that God has for us, both the spiritual disciplines, as Pastor Ingrid was mentioning today, uh, in prayer and things like that, the disciplines and the gifts that God has for us. And so as we dive in, we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 6, that says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so as we look at the different gifts of the Spirit and disciplines of the Spirit, we need to remember that. That it's one Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that is empowering 
and giving us those disciplines and helping us with those disciplines. And while we may activate gifts and disciplines in different ways in our own personal lives and in the corporate setting, they're all from the same spirit and they're all used for the same purpose, to bring unity to the church, to bring growth to the church, to bring growth and unity to our lives and to help us be a witness to the world around us of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And as a reminder, when we talk about the spiritual gifts, this is what we mean. A spiritual gift is a God-given, unique capacity which is, able, which is available to each believer for the purpose of releasing a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry in either a situation or to be repeated again and again throughout the life of the church. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a spiritual gift. Now, I know we've used the analogy throughout the series of shoveling snow uh, with a shovel. And, you know, especially when you get to the end of the driveway and there's that massive pile of snow at the end. And you're just like, you're tired. And you just don't think you can get through that little bit. And then all of a sudden your neighbor coming along with the snowblower and he can just whip through that snow at the end of the driveway, the big heavy stuff in like two seconds, like cutting through butter. And we've used that analogy to talk about uh, disciplines and gifts and how uh, you could have, uh, you could be administrative or a teacher or, or mercy and all the different gifts and you can use those, the spiritual disciplines and you're working hard and God is, is gracing you with the ability to show mercy and kindness and, and use administration and giving and helps. He's, he's helping you with those things, but it's, it's hard work. Right? It's hard work, and, we're, and we're, we're working at it, versus the person with the snowblower who just seems to have this supernatural ability to be able to, like, well, let me give you a hand. And as they do, it just goes so awesome and smooth, and it's, it's a supernatural ability. And it's worked well. We've also used a lawnmower scenario versus, like, a pushmower versus a riding lawnmower. But I wanted to use the snowblower one because in a couple of weeks it's going to be winter here. So... Maybe that was the gift of discouragement. I don't, actually, I don't think that's one of them. I don't think that's one of the gifts, so we'll scratch that one. But the analogy works well when we're talking about some of the gifts of the Spirit, that we're able to make that analogy. It's hard work slugging with the shovel or the push mower versus the rotting lawnmower or the snowblower. It works well for some of the gifts to help us differentiate between the supernatural ability to use to use gifts versus natural ability or uh, using spiritual discipline. It helps us to differentiate between them. But the analogy doesn't work as well with some of the power gifts. Uh, it's not just that it's a lot harder to, for followers of Jesus without the gift of miracles to perform one. It's not possible. Right? Pastor Lori talked about the gift of miracles last week. You know, as hard as you want, you can go to a fish and chips truck and order a little plate of fish and chips, and you can start praying and breaking them in pieces, but it's not going to turn into enough for 5,000 unless God has given you the gift of miracles to make something like that happen. You're just going to end up with a really messy lunch. The power gifts absolutely require the Holy Spirit to show up where our humanness comes to an end. Now, here's the thing. Every gift requires that. Every gift. doesn't matter if it's giving, helps, mercy, administration, teaching, leadership. There is a point where the Holy Spirit has to engage and take over in what's going on in participation with you in order for that gift to be activated. Otherwise, it's not a Holy Spirit spiritual gift. It's still just you. Now, the power gifts, 
That's where our challenge comes in, and that's where probably in our brokenness as humans, what we've done is we've elevated power gifts because there's absolutely no denying what's happening in that moment. When somebody has the gift of leadership or administration or helps and things like that, we go, wow, they're, they're really good at that. And whether it's a spiritual gift that they're operating in or not, we fail to differentiate when the Holy Spirit is taking over and really doing things. But when it comes to power gifts, we have a hard time denying it, right? Because they, somebody got healed or a miracle happened or somebody spoke in tongues or, or something like that happened. And we can't deny that it was, it was something beyond that person. And so probably over time, we've elevated them because of that issue. Because we go, wow, I can't deny that that was God. And so all of a sudden, those, those gifts become the alluring ones for people. And they become elevated. And wow, you know, that person can, can do this or be, is prophetic or operates this way. And so we really need to listen to them because the Holy Spirit is really speaking to them versus the Holy Spirit using the person who's using the gift of helps and the person who's using the gift of giving and the person who's using the gift of leadership and teaching who are operating in the same power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to level the playing field as far as how we appreciate, embrace, and allow people to move in their gifts. Not elevating some higher than they should and not devaluing others because we have a harder time differentiating between where the line got crossed, between natural ability and the Holy Spirit's gifting. So what do we do about that? How do we move through that? No matter your church tradition, uh, if you have no church background, uh, we all come to these conversations with our experiences, our ideas, our preferences. And the challenge is, is to let the first lens that we look through all of this be Scripture. Let Scripture be the first lens that we do that before culture, before our personal experiences or expressions. Let Scripture lead us in this. So whether or not this morning, online or here uh, in the building, whether or not you have come from a charismatic tradition and you have swung from chandeliers, and some of you may not even know what I'm referencing in that, uh, or whether or not you believe actions like that come from a spirit of drinking too much beer. Whatever your tradition is, whatever your background is, wherever you're coming from, approaching spiritual gifts, especially power gifts and the gifts we'll talk about today, my prayer is that what we'll do is we'll allow God's word to lead us. Even as in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, uh, Paul talks about how right now we see through a glass dimly and we only know in part. So part of our challenges now is just to humbly embrace what God has for us, a humble and earnest desire for God to reveal himself, his will for us. That will serve us well if we stay humble and earnest in our desire for God and all he has for us. So today, let's look at uh, three spiritual God, uh, gifts that God has given his church for all season, and even uh, the, the one we find ourselves in. And the, today, we're looking at the three of this, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and intercession. So let's dive in. Tongues is first mentioned by Jesus in Mark chapter 16. And he mentioned it as a sign, not the only sign, but a sign of, of his followers who'd be following after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. His followers would be marked by a number of different signs, one of them being tongues, speaking in tongues. 
Now, that's the first time it's mentioned. The second time that we see it is in Acts chapter 2, and that is on the day of Pentecost when all the disciples and the, the 120 are in the upper room and they're praying because Jesus had asked them to wait in Jerusalem and pray to receive the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what they were receiving. They had no idea what they were looking forward to. They just knew that Jesus had said the Comforter was coming, and it was better that the Comforter came than he stayed. And so they were praying and waiting, and on that day, in Acts 2, we read, we read this, that the, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the word tongues comes from the Greek word glossolalia, which is two words in Greek just mashed together to make a new word. And it simply means like tongue, like the actual one you have in your mouth as far as uh, being able to talk, and a language. So it, it, realistically, the word glossolalia, the Greek word that's used in the New Testament to speak of the things we're talking about today, uh, means to speak or chatter or talk in a language, make sounds. That's what it means. So if using the word tongues has some connotation that you're having maybe struggling with today uh, based off of past experience or preference or understanding, and it, and it helps you better and serves you better to hear the word language, the gift of speaking in languages. If that helps you as we start the conversation, think of it that way, because realistically, that's the word that we're interpreting is the ability to speak in languages. Um, now, these languages can be both known, as was at least in part the case in that first occasion in Acts chapter 2. Because as they were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues, they spilled out of that upper room. And as they were spilling out into the streets, praising God in all these different languages that they didn't know, what had happened was because the day of Pentecost was a regular Jewish festival, Jewish people from different countries, because they had been, uh, this is during the Roman Empire where, where the land of Israel was occupied by the Romans, and they often would take different groups of, of people out of their country of origin and go displace them, putting them in other areas of the empire. And so people would be born in different countries uh, outside of the actual proper land of Israel, but they were still Jewish, and they still had their Jewish faith and roots based off of their, their cultural background. And so they would make a, a journey back to Jerusalem for specific uh, festivals and religious holidays, this being one of them. And so they came speaking their languages of the countries of origin that they were born in and raised in. And so as these disciples who are predominantly Galilean and, and from the land of Israel, speaking uh, Hebrew, as they spill out into the land uh, outside of their upper room, they're speaking in languages that these different people who had come for these religious festivals could understand. And they could hear them praising God and, and talking about how amazing God was. And they could hear them in their own language. And they're, they're confused because they know that they wouldn't know these languages. They've never traveled there. They're just Galilean. They're fishermen. They're whatever. They have a, a dialect or, you know, an, an accent that would, that would betray the fact that they should know these languages. And so we know that they were speaking known languages. But we also know in 1 Corinthians 13.1, Paul also talks about the fact that they were, there was language of angels, that we speak in the tongues of men or of angels. And so there is also tongues 
that is not known languages. And this is where it can trip us up sometimes because we want it to be, it's a known language. I can hear it and go, you know what? I don't know what you're saying, but I know you're talking in Chinese. You're talking in Mandarin. I can, I can get it. You know, or you're talking in, in Russian or something. Like that. I don't know what you're saying because I don't know language, but I can understand that, you know, the nuances of the language. And sometimes a heavenly language won't have the same, uh, like, you know, tonal usages that we would use in regular human languages. And it can kind of trip us up and go like, oh, that's not a language because the syllables don't work like normal languages do. But Paul specifically states that there's both tongues of men and of angels. And so continuing in Acts, I know I'm going fast through this because I want to I help you understand the gift of tongues because it's not one that we've been... Uh, fairly accustomed to in modern church settings. And I want to make sure that we understand what the Bible says about that so that we can, we can access all the gifts that God has for us in a comfortable way. So moving on, in Acts, uh, there's a couple more references to the use of tongues happening. Um, there's one where in Acts 10, when Peter is with uh, a gentleman called Cornelius, and he is a, uh, a Roman soldier. And he had called he had asked for somebody to come and explain the gospel to him because he was, he was trying to understand the Hebrew faith and follow it devoutly. And he'd heard about this message of Jesus and asked somebody to come. And so Peter goes and starts talking to him about it. And as he begins to declare the gospel of Jesus, who he was, what he came to do, here's what happened. Cornelius and his family begin speaking in tongues. Nothing else other than while the gospel was being preached, they responded to the good news of who Jesus was and were filled, much like the disciples were on the day of Pentecost. And they began speaking in tongues, and it says that they began speaking in tongues and praising God. An absolutely amazing moment for that family and also for Peter to see Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, speaking in tongues and being invited into this new uh, body of Christ that was being created. Then, further on in, uh, chapter, in Acts, in chapter 19, uh, the Apostle Paul is, is uh, out, and he is ministering as well to people. And he, he is with a group of people, and he asks them uh, if they have received the Holy Spirit. And they said they, they've only received the baptism of John, right? Upon, uh, like about repenting and being ready for what God had in store. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit had to offer. And as... Paul puts his hand on them, like you often see us do at the front of the room here during our ministry times after service. He just puts his hand on them to pray for them that they would know and understand and receive the Spirit. As he does so, they begin speaking in tongues and praising God. And so we have these references in the early church of people speaking in tongues as part of the gifts of the Spirit that we see poured out on the church. And the question becomes, well, what's the purpose of tongues? What, why, do we, why is it used? And what's its role in ministry? And to this point, it would seem that the accompanying of tongues with the Holy Spirit, of speaking in languages of the Holy Spirit, has this experience of this, this birth in the Spirit, this connection with the Holy Spirit that people had when they received this, the Holy Spirit. Whether that was a salvation moment or whether that was a moment when, they, when what they hadn't even heard of before with the Holy Spirit was revealed to them, it seems like it was some type of encounter that matched with them understanding and knowing and being filled with the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit. And so it would seem like that is the reality. But maybe like you, your experience in coming to faith and understanding God and being filled with the Spirit 
didn't have the same transformative moment that we just talked about. Maybe your moment looked a lot different in seeing how the Holy Spirit revealed himself to you and began operating in your life. And so then we would look at it and go like, well, is, it was tongues just a sign then and not now? And is it be, become an issue? How do we understand this? But since we know and we trust that the gifts of God are perfect and purposeful, we can't just stop there and go, well, the tongues must have been just for then, just at that moment, just in that way. We, we have to look at it and go like, there's no reference to saying that it needed to stop there. So we need to keep looking a little farther into Scripture to see what God has to say about it. And for this, we're going to look at more teachings of the Apostle, the Apostle Paul and how he was going to teach about it to the church in Corinth. Um, now, this is what he says, and we've used the Scriptures like this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to talk about the gifts, because it's, it's the base Scriptures that we find, the list of the, the, the different gifts of the Spirit that we use. Now, it says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. So we see that uh, the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues, is for the common good of the church. For one is given, uh, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance uh, of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So there's a lot there we can unpack. But for the Corinthian church, this is what's going on, and this is why Paul's talking about it. Despite the idea that the gifts were dispersed and designed for the common good of the whole church, the church in Corinth seems to be teeming with people who could speak in tongues. And despite the fact that tongues comes in last on this list and further in the chapter when there's a fuller list and in, in different, different ways we look at the gifts, it's the last gift usually mentioned by Paul. Uh, despite that, it seems to be being elevated in the church to being one of the preeminent and most sought for or uh, you know, embraced gifts. And so in the midst of this, Paul is looking to you know, correct some unhealthiness within the Corinth church as far as how they're approaching the gift of tongues and to uh, just bring some balance to it. And so what we're doing is looking at that. And here's what he does. He lays out all those gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What are the gifts? How they're all for the common good. How it's God that gives the gifts out. And that each gift is given to one or another and another. Not everybody gets every gift. And not every gift is going out to everybody in every way just because they want it. That it's God who's in control sovereignly of all the gifts. After he lays that out, you'd think he'd go right into teaching. Now this is how you use the gifts. But he doesn't. Chapter 13, if, you, if you're familiar with the, the book, uh, first book of Corinthians, chapter 13 is a book on love. It's a book on how love is preeminent in all situations. Listen to what it says. Uh, now, here's the thing. I always tell my kids uh, that we can learn. We can learn two ways. We can learn from the mistakes of others, or we can blow right past their mistakes, and we can learn by making the same mistakes ourselves the hard way. And I suggest that today, as a church, we learn from the Corinthian church rather than blowing by and thinking that we know best and we can just go for it. Because Paul does have some amazing things to teach us about it. 
So this is what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, right after he talks about love being the preeminent thing. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially uh, that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now listen to this. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Wow, there's a lot in there for us to unpack about tongues. And so let's do that. What do we learn about tongues in this little portion of Scripture? First thing we learn is this. Tongues is speaking to God, not people. Right off the bat, we see that tongues is not for uh, me to you type of situation. It's God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the person actually to God. Right? That's what we learn. It's a language to God. The Holy Spirit in us allows us to speak. Uh, Bruce Bugby mentions that the, the gift of tongues allows one to speak, to worship, and pray to God in a language that's unknown to the speaker. That's the first thing we see there. Second thing we see is that tongues is meant to build up or edify oneself, the person speaking. Right? As they speak in tongues, their, their understanding of who they are and their connection with God is solidified and grounded and built up. And they, they, it, they're like able to build up their faith within themselves as they speak in tongues. That's the second thing. The third thing that we see is this, that Paul would like everybody to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And you'll have to come back next week or follow, tune in next week online if you want to hear about prophecy. Pastor Rhonda is going to do an absolutely amazing job talking about that. So we, we see that he wants everybody to. Does that mean everybody will? No, because he uses the language that I want you all. I wish that you would all. And it seems that tongues is uh, approachable by the vast majority of the people in the church in Corinth. And he doesn't correct them saying, you've done something wrong here because you've, you've pulled together all the people who can speak in tongues and you've left out all the people with other gifts and you've made a church of tongue speakers only. He doesn't correct that. He doesn't speak to that at all in this situation. So apparently tongues is um, potentially a little bit more available to us as a church than uh, maybe some of the gifts like uh, otherwise. Maybe, maybe it's, it, it's, it's rolled out by God more frequently than, say, the gift of miracles or the gift of healing. Uh, maybe that's, that's a part of how he rolled it out. That's, that's kind of our understanding of how we see this, that it's accessible by a lot of people. Maybe not everybody, but by a lot of people. But he also wants you to be able to prophesy, which, again, I'm going to hold off, even though I'd love to talk about it. Pastor Ron is going to do an amazing job. Uh, the fourth thing we learn in this one that needs to be couched with that last statement is this, that tongues has little value in a church setting without interpretation. If there's nobody there who can interpret what's being spoken, then there's little value for the church for you to hear somebody speaking in tongues. Which makes sense. If nobody knows what you're saying, how is that of any value to all of us? Right? If I was up here speaking in a language none of you knew, this message would not be very appropriate. It would not help you at all and build you up or build the church up at all. So what role does tongues play in the church then? When we come together, what does it look like? 
Well, first thing is that we need to make sure we understand what a church gathering is. Yes, this is the gathering of the church. But so is a life group. So is a home campus. So is two or more gathered together in the name of Jesus. These are all reflections of the church. And so the use of tongues isn't strictly related to only large corporate gatherings. It's any time the church gathers. And when we look at that, all of a sudden, the use of tongues and the gift of tongues and interpretation in those settings becomes a lot more accessible and usable than in a corporate setting. Because that's part of what was happening in the church in Corinth. They were all wanting to speak in tongues when they would gather for a moment like this, and there was nothing else happening. They would be speaking in tongues, and it was just a big, like, worship fest that nobody understood what was going on. And so they would, Paul, that's why Paul was bringing correction. And so let's keep digging in a little bit farther here to understand that role. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue uh, should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, uh, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not even know what you're saying? For you may give thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So quickly, what we see in church settings, what is the purpose of tongue? Where two or more are gathered, tongues should have an interpretation. Tongues is meant to edify, build up, encourage, and draw the church closer to God. Uh, As a lifestyle, like Paul says, I'm going to speak Uh, I'm going to speak in the spirit, and I'm going to speak in the mind. I'm going to speak in—he's going to do both. He he needs to do both, and we need to do both. So the second thing we see as a lifestyle, a person who speaks in tongues can use that about edifying themselves and building up themselves in their relationship with God as a personal prayer language and as a way to connect with God. Uh, Paul specifically mentions that that if if there's nobody there to interpret, then you should— Use that gift between you and God alone and not in a corporate setting. The last thing there is five words. He wants to bring some, some, uh, some realization to you. Five words in English in our setting right today. Five words, intelligible, understanding, that help you connect with God better are way more important than 10,000 words spoken in a language you don't understand. So, is tongues appropriate? Yes. Is tongues necessary for the life of the church? Yes. Specifically with interpretation. Is tongues great for your individual working out of your faith? Yes, you can use it to grow in your relationship with God. Now, uh, the next portion of Scripture right underneath that gets a little confusing because it starts talking about how Tongues is a sign for the unbeliever and not for the believer. And then it says the exact opposite. It says if if the unbeliever hears tongues, he'll think you're all crazy. And then actually prophecy is better for the unbeliever to hear it. And it sounds like this confusing doublespeak. And what we need to clarify there is this, is that Paul isn't—sometimes that gets used as a a cease and desist order for for tongues in the church. Because he says, see, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for the unbeliever, and the believer needs to hear prophecy, and actually prophecy is better for the the unbeliever as a believer. So just 
just cut out tongues. It's too confusing and scary for us. And we can't allow that to happen because that's not what he's actually saying, especially when he says, I wish that you would all speak in tongues. What he's saying there, and I think it's important for us to realize, is this, is that if there's tongues, specifically with no interpretation, because that's what he was correcting for the church in Corinthians, if there's tongues, the best that it can do for the unbeliever who doesn't understand what's going on, the best that it's going to offer them is confusion and thinking that we're all crazy. Because they don't understand what God is doing. They don't understand the move of God. And what Paul was doing there was referencing Isaiah in the Old Testament who was talking to uh, the, the Israelites who were disobedient towards God. And God was saying to them, listen, I've tried to correct your behavior. You haven't listened to me. I'm using outside influences, foreign foreign entities, other countries that are going to come in and take you over and they speak in different languages and you're still not getting the message that you're disobeying me and need to be corrected. And he's using that as his kind of warning there and he's saying, listen, like, they don't even understand what God is doing. You should and you're not following it. And he's saying, at best, at best, the unbeliever just doesn't recognize the move of God. So he's saying, what you need to do is make sure that Use prophecy, use interpretation so the unbeliever and the believer can understand what God is doing. So just so we can get some clarity around that. Now, I know we haven't spoken about it much this morning, but as we come closer to the end of our service, interpretation, the gift of interpretation, it's pretty straightforward, but this is what it is. When somebody has a message in tongues, you're sitting there, you're hearing it, and it's not like when you listen to, like, uh, say, the news and the, the, the speaker will, will switch from English to French all of a sudden and then you hear a voiceover that's talking in, in English repeating what they're saying in French to you and you're trying to get what both are saying. It's not a direct word-for-word word translation. It's more of as the person who's speaking in tongues speaks to God, you are sitting there and God is giving you that, that word or that message for you to share with the congregation or with a person uh, and you're getting the kind of the, the general idea, the understanding of it that you can communicate to everybody. And you have this, this, this you're compelled to share with the, the whole congregation what that person was speaking in tongues. Tongues often is given with the gift of interpretation, but often, just as often, somebody else has that gift where they can interpret what was being said. Now that person who has that gift and who's compelled to be able to share the message that somebody had in tongues, they have a, a responsibility to the church to not just internalize that message, but to, to come to leadership and say, I know, I think I know what God was saying through that message and, and I want to share it. And so we need to have both. Um, in the church today, we need the gift of tongues and we need the gift of interpretation. As I said earlier, these gifts aren't the type that spiritual disciplines help you do naturally, but the spiritual disciplines help you do them properly. It keeps you grounded in God's Word and who God is so that you don't have improper use of the gift of tongues and interpretations. Speaking in tongues requires supernatural assistance. Now, if you have the gift of tongues, by faith, when you go to speak, to utter words, you trust that the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to speak. Sometimes it surprisingly bursts out of you, like on the day of Pentecost. Other times it takes an intentional submission to the control uh, of the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to activate that gift. If you have the gift of interpretation, when someone has spoken in tongues, you feel like God is speaking to you, compelling you to share that message. And the message is worship, encouragement, calling one to come closer to God. 
Both gifts are essential to the church. Our last gift today, intercession, is a gift of prayer. Now, it's not in any formal list of gifts, but the gift, gift is inferred to in Scripture and is a very strong one that we need to address. Uh, Peter Wagner describes it as this. The gift of intercession is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to pray for extended periods of time on a regular basis and see frequent and specific answers to their prayers to a degree much greater than what is expected from an average Christian. Now, John Thompson of Sanctus Church in the GTA describes how the gift of intercession can play out for some in the church. And he gives them titles quickly like this, list intercessors, uh, crisis intercessors, and assignment intercessors. Now, list intercessors are people who just love a list. And every day when they pray, they have their checklist of things they can pray through. And they love going through one thing after the other after the other. And they can pray for hours through checklists. And, and other people might find that absolutely boring and mundane and can't pray through it. But those list intercessors love praying through a list of things. And you give them a long list and it just gives them more to pray about and they love it. Uh, Crisis or moment intercessors, uh, they can pray. Uh, they can pray through things that they're supernaturally alerted to. Um, situations, crises, the things are going on in people's lives, specific needs at specific times where they just feel God compel them to pray for something. Whether it could be a missionary in some foreign country or it could be somebody who just uh, was involved in, in, in a, a, a terrible accident and they feel compelled by God to pray for them at a specific time, at a specific moment. And they pray until they feel released to stop praying. And it could be in the middle of the night, the middle of the day where they just need to pray. And they can often go back and correlate the exact time they started praying with the exact time somebody's crisis began uh, and started. And it's amazing how God uses them in those ways. And then assignment intercessors could be people that just know they have an assignment. They could be assigned to pray for a life center and that they just know that as long as God gives them, they're praying for a life center. They're praying for a person in particular. They're praying for one thing. They've got their assignment and they just keep going and praying for it. And if you resonate with praying in this way, it's very likely that you have the gift of intercession. Uh, me, with the gift of intercession, that's not one of my, my spiritual gifts. If I have to pray for a very long time, I need a lot of coffee. It just does not work otherwise. My brain, just like I start praying, I, I, I could have a list. I'll get two things on the list and I'll... I'll be thinking about, you know, renovating something on my house next. I just, my focus just isn't there for that extended type of prayer. But for some of you, you just, you get lost. You can start praying, and the next thing you know, you're just like, I just skipped three meals, you know, because I've just been caught up praying, and, and it's a glorious moment for you. And the church absolutely needs that. Uh, I remember a quote that Pastor Jason shared a couple of weeks ago. A Christian community either lives by the intercessory prayers of its members for one another or the community will be destroyed. I can no longer condemn or hate other Christians for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they cause me. That was from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That helps bring unity to the church, having intercessory prayer. It brings life to the church. Uh, and we are living by intercessory prayer in each one of our campuses. We will see a move of God in our community as a result of the intercessory prayer that happens in our campuses and in our community. We will see a move of God's Spirit in our community as the intercessors pray for and faithfully and continually keep going to God for these things each and every day. 
So if you have these gifts, we'd love to know. If you have the gift of tongues, we want to know. If you have the gift of interpretation, we want to know. If you have the gift of intercession, we'd love to know. We'd love for you to reach out to your campus pastor if you have any one of these gifts so you can see how we can use these and activate these gifts in the life of the church. We need to know these things. We need to see them and embrace them in the church. And yet we need to do so in in an orderly way. We need to see tongues and the interpretation of tongues done in a way that brings order to our community. So reach out. And don't be afraid to ask for these gifts. Don't be afraid to ask for and earnestly desire the gifts that God has. We can desire the gift of tongues for a personal prayer language and to edify the church. We can desire the ability to interpret uh, tongues to edify the body. And we can desire to grow in intercession as we recognize the necessity and power of prayer. And if that's you this morning, if you know you have one of those gifts, or if you desire one of those gifts, we'd love to pray a prayer of impartation over you this morning. Whether you're here in, in the campus or whether you're online, I just ask you this morning, in this moment here, if you have a gift of tongues, interpretation, or of intercession, or you'd like to receive that gift, would you just either give us a wave online or in person, just reach out your hand. And we'd love to, in this moment, just pray a prayer of impartation over you. God, we just thank you that you are the origin, originator and the giver of the gifts of the Spirit. And God, this morning, for our church, we ask that you activate the gifts that you have for us in the life and in the body of your believers, God. We pray for those who have the gift of tongues this morning, the gift of speaking in languages known and unknown. God, that you would activate that gift in their life and in the life of our church. God, that you would activate the gift of, inner, of interpretation in the life of our church, in our corporate settings, in our small group settings, our life group settings, our home campus settings. In our prayer settings, God, that the gift of tongues and interpretation of edifying and lifting up the body would be used in our church to glorify you and bring us closer to you, God. God, may the gift of intercession be released and activated in the life of this church. God, may you use people who can pray for those extended periods of time and see the result of their prayers, the the answer to their prayers happen in our church, God. May it be a part of the moving of your spirit in this season in our church. We pray this over our congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Life Center, we need imperfect, humble, holy, hungry people growing and looking to speak in tongues in this season. We need imperfect, hungry, holy people, imperfect, growing in interpretation in this time and season. And we need imperfect, hungry, holy people imperfectly growing in their intercessory prayer in this season. All fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking to become more like him and be unified together as the body of Christ. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for being online with us today.